Maybe I should do what I'm asked to do. Maybe I should be obedient, and I should be passionate enough to know that, hey, I'm going to submit to God because I'm going to willfully want to do this stuff because He's an awesome God. He's right. I don't have to agree 100% with everything that He does. You know why? Because I'm not God. I'm just one of His children. My son doesn't agree with everything I do. You think he agrees? Okay, Dad, go ahead. I'm ready for a spanking. I agree to this. But he's told that he's disciplined because I love him. God is wise and just. Today's passage presents a harsh reality of who God is. Sometimes he has to allow and even cause things to happen to people who are bringing harm upon his children. We love the grace side of God, but when his justice comes to bear, we may not like what we see. As Pastor Mark continues to lead us through 1 Samuel, we encounter an example of God's execution of justice. It may sound unloving, but it was out of his desire to see his creation redeemed and his children protected that he had to carry out the painful punishments for the sinful rebellion of Eli's sons. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive. Remember we heard Hannah's prayer in the temple a few weeks ago? She, she didn't manipulate. Some people might consider that, but she didn't. Sometimes we do this in prayer. We try to manipulate God. God, if you would only bless me with this, then I will do this. And, and oftentimes when we do that, well, we're the ones that wind up giving the short end of the stick because we're trying to better ourselves and get more for us. It goes back to, hey, why aren't we happy with what God provided for us? If he's provided this, we should be blessed with what we have, yet we want more. And so, God, if you just give me a little more, I'll do this. Now, there's a time when that, that's kind of cool because what Hannah did was she, she kind of qualified, Lord, I don't want this for my own reason. I don't want this little boy for my own reason because she obviously saw the corruption in the countryside, in the priests. And so she says, I want this for godly reasons. I, I want this little boy for godly reasons. And so if you let me bear a son, I will give him back to you. If you give me, I will give back. I mean, why would you want something to give it away? She gave it back. It was for a holy purpose. In James, we are told when we pray, we don't receive because we ask amiss, wanting what we pray for, uh, for our own pleasures. How many of us pray for our own pleasures? See, she was praying because she wanted to see Israel righted. And so she thought, Lord, if you give me a son, let him be the one to take this shaking country of mine and ride it. How many of you moms are willing to do that with your sons? Lord, if you give me a son, I promise, and I'll give him back to you. I'll let him live in some place far away so he can ride our country. How many of you are willing to do that? How many of you dads are willing to do that? See, she wanted God to prevail. She asked not for herself, but for God. She didn't ask for herself. She asked for God. So she gave God One, and look at her return on her investment. She got how many? Count them. Three more sons, two daughters, equals five. 
I mean, how many of you would take money and dump it into something like that? Here's 100 bucks, Mark. Okay, cool. I'm going to give you 500 back. All of us, hopefully smart people, would be like, yeah, that's a good return on my investment. She receives grace on top of grace, and that's vintage God. That's what God does. No sacrifice ever seems to impoverish God's servants. If you're a real servant, it's not going to cause you to go broke if it's really for God and you're really doing it so God can use what resources you're giving, whether it's your time, your money, whatever it is. It's not going to make you go broke. You're not going to lose. You know, I'll tell people this all the time. Yeah, we ha- I have had some busy weeks, but you know what? I've also had some time where I'm like, man, I've, it seems like I've got a ton of time other weeks. I, I get to spend a lot of time with my family and my children. But you know what? It's not because I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to give you this much time, and I know you're going to do it this way. I don't try to figure the math. I'm just like, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me what you need to do, and let's go for it. And we go for it, and then there's other times when you kick back and you look, and you're like, you know what? The Lord just redeemed. Man, I got all this extra time, an abundance of it. Yeah, this one week was really rough. I didn't have a whole lot of time. Didn't seem like it. It was real busy, different things happening. But all of a sudden, I had all this other time to hang out with friends, go do what I want to do. So no sacrifice ever seems to impoverish God's servants. It doesn't take away. He always gives. Look at verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. And now they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. The whole town's talking about I mean. Hey, guess what? If on Saturday nights this place was a topless club, I bet you guys would hear about it. You'd be all like, man, that's wrong. That's wrong. You can't run a topless club, Mark. Well, hey, it's a church on Sunday. It's balanced, right? No, we giggle. Yeah, true. But that's what these guys did. They turned the temple, in, the tabernacle into a brothel. Hey, we, we have all the women we need here, guys. Look, we're the priests. They're, they're hanging out out there. We might as well... They kind of started acting like the people that lived around them. And so Eli says in verse 24, For I hear of your evil dealings from all of the people. Know, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. How many of you have ever said, I don't make you do that. It's not my fault just because I do it. Hey, I didn't force you to do it. That's an easy way. But hey, you know what? If you're you're the bigger guy, it's the same thing I tell a little six-year-old kid in my house named Asa. What kind of example do you set for the little kids? Sometimes we, we have to have those rough conversations. Oh, I didn't set a good one, Dad. Yeah. You need to go ask for forgiveness. I will. And he doesn't like to do that, but hey, he's got to learn. He's got to learn. And so sometimes we do that. Our example. You, you may not think it means a whole lot. I, I was telling somebody about a, 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 a guy, and his example wasn't great. You know, It was almost like he got extra money back at the store as a Christian leader, and he was like basically bragging. (laughs) They they gave me the wrong amount of change. I profited from it. Man, the Lord blessed me. You're blaming that on God? But people do it. People do it. Well, Mark, what about if it was a penny? Is it your penny? No, you can give it back. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. If it's not yours, don't take it. If it's given to you, receive it as a gift. 
Well, it was given to me. They made a mistake. It's a big corporation. I need the money more than they do. Why don't you let the Lord bless? That's what happens. These guys turned the house of God into a brothel instead of a place where sin is confessed. It became a place of sin itself. And so when there's a sin that takes place, there are consequences. Oh, yeah, you can be forgiven. I had a conversation with somebody this week. You sure can be forgiven. Well, yeah, we really blew it bad in the beginning of this thing. But, you know, we asked for forgiveness. Cool. Praise the Lord. So we're saved, right? Yeah, you're saved. But So I don't understand why all this hard stuff's happening. Well, hey, there's some consequences that come along with that. Nowhere does it say that he takes away the consequences. He says, I'll, I'll forgive you of your sins. I sent my son to die on the cross for your stup- stupid actions. You missed. You didn't do the right thing. So I'm sending my son to die on a cross for you. But yet, hey, the consequences are still going to be these hard places in life. Really? Really? And you know, it's like, be careful. Well, how could God do that? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't do what you did. He didn't make you do it. Well, he allowed me to do it. Well, don't you want free choice? Don't you want to choose your own stuff? Well, yeah. But then we have this double standard, only when it comes to this. Because, and it's like, you know what? No. It's called self-control sometimes. These guys didn't have it. These guys did not only take advantage of people and their offerings, but they were also taking advantage of people. Verse 25. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Put the brakes on. Let's look at that again. Because the Lord desired to kill them. God, this should percolate in our minds a little bit. It's easy to read it too fast as if Hophni and Phinehas didn't listen to Eli. As if, hey, you know, they didn't listen to their dad. We could say, and when you look at it, if one man sins against another man, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because they didn't hear what their dad said because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, there's a lot of us going, whoa, how's this a loving God? Well, let's talk about that. It says they didn't listen because God had decided to put them to death because of their persistent rebellion. God decided to put them to death, and so they did not listen to their father's voice because God had already decided that. So this teaches us that someone can remain so firm in their rebellion that God will confirm him in it. Well, how does God know that they wouldn't change? Well, that's real easy because he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow in your life. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I have a pretty good idea, Mark. Oh, yeah, but remember last week we talked about how I could change or Josiah could change your whole day, right? You might have plans to go home today, but if I said, hey, Josiah, I want you to go out there and wreck that person's car, that would change your whole day. Your plans would alter a little bit. Or if Jared says, well... Josiah's a criminal, and I'm just going to shoot him because he's a police officer, and he misses or it ricochets, and he kills you in that. Well, your plans aren't going to be carried out at all. Your whole day is going to be different. But see, God would know that that was going to happen. He would know ahead of time. Well, why wouldn't he stop it? 
We all have free choice. Every man's appointed a day. And this was the time. This isn't the day, though. But God has a day appointed for these. He says, hey, I desire to kill these guys. They're not going to hear their dad anyway. It doesn't matter who talks. I could do a miracle. And they wouldn't hear because I know these guys' hearts are hardened. So because of their persistent rebellion, God decided to put them to death. He says, I'm just going to confirm and make sure. I'm going to look ahead in your future to see that you're going to continue down this wrong path. And if you're not going to change, no matter what anyone says, then we're going to go ahead and have to take care of real business. There's a judgment. So much so that God will become deaf and, to, to, and unmoved, or these kids will become deaf and unmoved by any warnings that God will give them, that God would throw in their way. They're just going to be deaf and unmoved by any of those warnings or judgments or pleas of repentance. People are going to be like, please, you should stop. You should say, oh, no. And they have the rules. They know what happens. They have the history of Israel, what happened to all those people that had gone before them that had blown it. They know that God is serious in his dealings with his people. They know it. Any good Jewish kid in those days would have been brought up and told about all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, all the blessings and all the curses. They were given a rule book, just like you and I are. We're given an owner's manual, a guide to our life, how to live life. And yet so many of us decide, hey, I'm not going to do what it says. I'm not going to believe it. I just, how could really a God of love? No. We're going to try to reason and understand. And the minute you understand God and you figure him out, let me tell you, we all should bow down to you and worship you because you're, you're on an equal plane at that point. We need to be careful. You and I need to be careful of our response to such teaching. Some of you may try to become, you know, prosecutors alleging that he, God, is deficient in mercy. How could he do that? Others may become intellectually curious about the mechanics of hardening at what precise point and sin's progress does a hardening take place, and we're going to work and look at that and try to figure that one out. You'll drive yourself crazy. You're not going to figure it out. At what point is it impossible to repent? And I know people that do these things on both sides, and they can't figure it out. They just wind up getting more confused. Both the critic and the curious are wrong. Both the critic and the curious are wrong. Our place is not to question or comprehend, but to tremble before a God who can justly make a sinner deaf to the very call of repentance. If God can do that, and we see that he can, because if we say we believe everything that this says, that it's 100% true, if you say that, then, hey, this is a very important part of the message for you. Listen closely, pay attention, write notes, highlight in your Bible, whatever it takes, but pay close attention. If God can do that, who can justly make sinners deaf to the very call of repentance and warnings about what's going to happen, then you know what? We should tremble before him. Not in fear like, oh, I'm so scared of you, but in a respect that, hey, Maybe I should do what I'm asked to do. Maybe I should be obedient. And I should be passionate enough to know that, hey, I'm going to submit to God because I'm going to willfully want to do this stuff because he's an awesome God. He's right. I don't have to agree 100% with everything that he does. You know why? Because I'm not God. I'm just one of his children. My son doesn't agree with everything I do. You think he agrees? Okay, Dad, go ahead. I'm ready for a spanking. I agree to this. But he's told that he's disciplined because I love him. Hey, buddy, and my daughter as well, you're grounded because I love you so much. I don't want you making these mistakes. I don't want some other kid disciplining you out in the schoolyard or with a drive-by, right? It should make sense to us. See, we are, well, we're at, God's patient. 
we are where we are at because God is patient. These guys here have been blown it for a long time. God knew a long time ago what was going to happen. He was just patient with his judgment. He's given them chance after chance. He's loving and just in all his actions, and he has to look out for his people, the ones who could be misled. There are other people out there who could be misled. I mean, it, you, when you think about it, it, cancer is a living thing in your body, right? We all agree to that, but hey, we're going to remove it and kill it because we don't want it to kill the rest of the body. We might have to kill, you might have to sever an arm for gangrene. That's a living thing. Oh, we don't want to hurt anything that's living. God created all living things, but some of those living things are very dangerous. Piranha looks like a little cute fish until it starts chewing your leg off. We're going to kill it if it's chewing. We've got to save a life. We've got to save more. We've got to worry about the bigger picture. There's more people to be misled. God says, hey, I love my children so much, I've got to take out this cancer. I've got to remove them. They're doing the wrong things. And so God has provision for you. Are you willing to be content with what he's giving you? He's got that provision for you. He's provided his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you, to forgive you of your sins, to give you hope. Well, I don't know if I can love a God that just kills people. Hey, he didn't kill them. They made a choice to continue down that path. I don't know if I can love a God that will send people to hell. He doesn't send you to hell. You have a choice. The Bible tells us even a religious man named Nicodemus, a one who knew the Bible, one who knew God's word, a religious man, comes to Jesus in John 3, 3, and says, hey, we know you're a prophet sent by God. Jesus doesn't even really acknowledge much of that and says, hey, assuredly I say to you, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Jesus is more concerned about where you'll spend eternity than where you spend today. He's more concerned where you're going to hang out for the rest of your, it's your soul's eternal life than whether or not you're going to get that 72-screen television or not and be comfortable in your recliner. We see that all throughout Scripture when people are coming for healing and coming for different things and coming for all this stuff. They can't find Jesus. He's out praying. And they're like, hey, man, there's all these people at Peter's house, man. They're in his front yard. They're messing up his landscape. They stepped all over his flowers. They're looking for you. We were worried. We weren't going to find you. And Jesus says, let's go. We got to go preach in other towns. What about all the sick people? Well, what good is a healed sick person if they spend the rest of their eternity in hell? So... Let's get taking care of the right things, the taking care of business. See, he's provided for you to spend an eternity with him by allowing his son Jesus to die on a cross. Who else do you know that would do that to give you eternity? Who else do you know that would do that? Maybe God has said, what you have is enough. You have more than most. Maybe he's saying that to you. Maybe you don't like to hear that. But sometimes that happens. So the question today, church, is where are we at? What do we want? More stuff so we're more comfortable? Or would we like to see other people be able to spend eternity in heaven? Can Jesus heal people still today of physical? Yeah, sure he can. We believe in it. We pray for people all the time. Lord, heal their back. Heal their feet. Josiah's sick today. We pray this morning. Heal Josiah. Let him stop being sick. We pray for them. We believe that. We care. We love. God uses us to love others. But here's the problem sometimes that we have is that we constantly desire more and more and we wind up missing out on those we need to be loving. Hophni and Phineas turned something that God had 
And you think about the church, Jesus has this idea of the church. It's a perfect idea. The idea is perfect. The church isn't. Because the minute two humans walk into it, it goes, it goes downhill real quick. Why? Because we're sinners saved by grace. The difference between those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is that they're sinners. And we should have a heart for them. We should care for them. We shouldn't just look at them and be like, fools, let me argue you into the kingdom of heaven. That's not going to work. You love them. And by your caring, you allow them to make a choice. They're like, hey, man, what, what, whatever it is you have, I want. Because the world's really buying for all those people. Satan doesn't want people to go to heaven. He gets really upset when one of his people that do absolutely nothing, that are just basically good, and that's where he wants you to believe and where he wants you to sit and stay. He's like, hey, I just want you to think you're doing okay because you're no threat to my kingdom. And so if you're no threat to my kingdom, that's cool. And even in church, in the Christian realm, a lot of Christians do absolutely nothing. He's like, you're not even a threat to me. It's like an ar- a guy dressed up in an army suit with no weapons. And you walk by a bunch of guys and you're on the opposing army and you look at a bunch of guys dressed up in army uniforms and they have no weapons and you just walk by and you're like, <laughs> you're no threat. What are you going to do, yell at me? Ow, we got the guns. You're no threat, we'll leave you alone. Maybe we'll just take you prisoner. Or you know what, we'll just come in and take what you have. But that's what happens a lot of times is we just give up. We do nothing. Where are you at? Where are you at? Are are we satisfied with the provision that God gives us? And if so, are we sharing what we have, that hope in Jesus Christ? Or are we taking something and we turn it into a mockery before the Lord by the way we act in the workplace, around others, in our families? What is it? So my prayer for us as Christians, for the church, is that we're different. That we'd be like Samuel. That we would minister. That we would be submissive. That it'd be something we'd like to do along with the obedience that we're here. Verse 26, and the child Samuel grew in stature. Are we growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men? Do people look at you and go, wow, man, that's a great guy. I want to hang out with him or her. Are we growing in that way? I pray that we are. I pray that we, we take verse 26 and we, and we pray it and say, and Lord, allow me to grow in stature and in favor both with you and men. You may be familiar with David's story in the book of 1 Samuel, but did you know he was just one of many important characters from the verses of this Old Testament book? Many people's lives are intertwined to bring about God's plan, even some who weren't following their creator. God used each person to pave the way for David to ascend the throne and ultimately to bring about salvation for the entire world through his line. Today, you may be a David in your own world. God may be calling you to huge things that will take you to potentially dangerous but ultimately wonderful places. On the other hand, you might be someone God is using to prepare the way for another or to support them in their role. This doesn't in any way diminish your importance. Wherever you are in life, you can be demonstrating God to the world. If you'd like us to pray for you as you seek God's will for your life, please give us a call. We can be reached at 281-391-5503. 
That number again is 281-391-5503. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other editions of Come Alive, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. Find us on your smartphone app store or subscribe on iTunes. You'll receive up-to-date teachings as soon as we make them available. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to continue studying through 1 Samuel right here on Come Alive.